In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Romans. Um, last time we uh, completed chapters 10 and 11. And God willing, today we'll um, do the next two chapters, 12 and 13. Um, last time, St. Paul emphasized that um, he desires the salvation of both the Jews and the Gentiles who are living in the area uh, of Rome. Um, and these two groups, who are kind of at odds with one another, um, the Jews felt that the Gentiles had to adopt the Jewish practices in order for them to be saved, whereas the Gentiles were accusing the Jews um, of essentially the ones who, who rejected Christ, and they, they, they looked down upon them. So there was the kind of like this um, tension between the two groups. Um, and so St. Paul, addressing the Jews, he explains to them how they are in the need of salvation, and it is not through uh, keeping the law of Moses or circumcision that they are saved, and also to the Gentiles, he speaks about how um, if the, it is the Jews actually who, who paved the way for their own salvation. And even though now um, they have been rejected because they rejected Christ, but there is still an open door for repentance for them. And the Gentiles should be praying for them and, and looking forward to the day when the Jews will return again and, and come back um, uh, and believe in Christ. Um in chapter 12, which we're going to discuss today, um, and really I believe for the rest of the book, it focuses more on like the practical aspects um, of the faith. Uh, so uh, here um, St. Paul speaks uh, about this like kind of daily faith, the daily life that we live. Um, so he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, so he, he emphasizes that this is a living sacrifice, that we are offering our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, um, as opposed to the Old Testament sacrifices, which were dead sacrifices, right? So in the Old Testament, the person would kill an, an animal and offer this as, uh, a, a, as an offering to God, okay? Whereas here, we are not doing that, obviously. We are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Um, St. John Chrysostom, he, he, he comments on this. He says, some may ask, how can the body become a living sacrifice? Let your eye not look at wickedness. Then it will become a sacrificial offering. By not uttering unclean words, your tongue becomes an offering. By not practicing forbidden acts, your hands become a complete offering. This is not enough, however, for it is necessary to do good deeds the hand should offer alms, the mouth should bless opponents, and the hearing should find pleasure in the passages of the Holy Bible. Indeed, offerings do not approve of anything that is unclean, for they should be the firstborn of all deeds. So he's speaking about how we as a living sacrifice should be purified, sanctified, offering ourselves to God, keeping ourselves away from sin, reading the Holy Bible, and, and finding pleasure in the passages of the Holy Bible, um, as what he says. So then he continues and he says, all of this is your reasonable service, right? Your reasonable service. What does it mean, reasonable service? What does it mean for the service to be reasonable? Hmm? With understanding, like coming from the word reason, like to, to be able to reason, right? Like rational, like with understanding, with thought, right? Our service to God is not arbitrary it has understanding in it because we understand God right our, our service is not random it is it is not just kind of like one day I feel like doing this one day I feel like doing that everything that we offer to God is based on reason based on the mind right based on what is it that God has told us so God is reason right and so he reveals to us what pleases him he reveals to us the truth it reveals to us who we are and how is it that we should live, right? So this service that I'm offering to God, I'm offering it with understanding. And God reveals to me to understand and to comprehend the divine mysteries, right? And to respond to God and to be able to serve God and to, to serve with God because I understand, right? So it is not a service of simply how I feel. It is not a service that changes from day to day. It is not a service that I invent the truth in it, but it is a reasonable service, and the reason is based on God, because he is reason. 
we say that Christ is the logos. The logos is the reason, the mind, the 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 kind of the the, the knowledge and understanding, right? So Christ gives us this because we are made in His image, and the the way we are able to reason is directly because we are made in the image of God. So like the animals, even though they have flesh, as we have flesh, they are unable to reason, right? Even though animals have emotions, just as we have emotions, but they are unable to reason. They are unable to understand themselves, and they are un unable to understand where they came from because they have no reason. So here he's, he's saying, present yourself as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is the service of your reason, right? Because having understood, right, having understood who we are and where we came from, the only rational, reasonable response is to offer ourselves to God. When we, when we recognize who God is compared to us, when we recognize what is it that God has done for us, right, even when we meditate on the resurrection, when we meditate on the crucifixion, when we really understand and believe that all these things are true, then because we are reasonable, right, because we are governed by our reason, our response should be that we serve the Lord, that we, in, in, as a response to the love that he has shown us, we respond. Then he goes on and he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so what prevents us from offering the reasonable service, right? What prevents me from, from, from operating in the realm of reason and, and, and saying, well, because I know all these things about God and what he has done for me and his love for me, I should respond in offering myself as a living sacrifice. What prevents that is because we are being conformed to the world. Right. So instead of my focus being on God and paying attention to him and what he has done and what he continues to do, my focus becomes what more thinking about the worldly things, the things that grab my attention in this life, the things that attract my senses, the sensual things, you know, the things that that I desire for my pleasure. Right. And, and when we turn our mind from God and who he is to the worldly things, now we are like no longer being able to offer this reasonable service to God because our mind actually becomes corrupt, right? The, the person who lives away from God and in, in the world and living for the world, their mind becomes um, conformed to the world, right? Becoming like the world. That, you know, when you spend enough time with a group of people, you will begin to think like them. You will begin to have the same opinions as them. When we find ourselves in the world constantly and, and appreciating the world and loving the world and, and, and doing the things that the people who are in the world do, we find ourselves gradually kind of drifting away from what is it that Christ is calling us to do and how he's calling us to live, which is contrary to the world because he is against the world. He's not against humanity. He's not against the people. Actually, he wants their salvation. But what, what, what is preventing their salvation is because they are attracted to the world more than they are attracted to God. So he says, when you do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because the renewing of your mind is what is going to restore to you your reason. Right? You, will, you, you, you have lost reason, and you are operating outside the realm of reason, so you are not offering yourself, you are not responding in the reasonable way to all the things that God has done, because you are completely immersed in the world and its distractions and its lusts so tr be transformed so that your your mind is renewed again and so you come back and are like restored in your understanding so that you can serve god and worship god as you should that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god uh, james saint james in the epistle of saint james chapter four he says do you not know that the friendship with the world is the enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so um, when we renew our mind, our actions and our emotions will follow, right? Sometimes we, 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 are, we, we ask the question is what should lead us, right? Some people are led by their emotions, right? Like if I feel very zealously about doing a particular service, I'm going to do it. 
If I feel very zealously in this moment of like giving half of my money to the church, I'm going to do it. And if I don't feel it, I'm not going to give anything, right? If I feel very zealously about standing to pray, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray the entire Agbeah. But if I don't feel at all like I want to pray, I'm going to pray nothing, right? And so this is an example of where our actions are kind of following our emotions. When our actions follow our mind, okay, the mind, because it is enlightened by Christ, and because the mind is reasonable based on the reason of God, then we can understand what is good, what is the truth, right? We can understand with our minds, it is good to pray. It is, r- it is, it is the right thing to do to pray. It is the right thing to do to fast. It is the right thing to do to partake of the sacraments, having understood these mysteries, okay? So then our actions follow the reason, right? And eventually our emotions also follow the reason. So while at the beginning the emotions might be kind of like... Uh, fighting against reason in the sense that my emotions are not supporting what my mind is saying, you know? And it's not just for spiritual things. Like my mind is telling me I need to wake up early to go to work because it is necessary for my life and for my career. My emotions are telling me, no, don't wake up. They just rest. Don't you want to rest and stay in bed and enjoy sleeping longer? But then our mind says, no, if I do that, I'm going to lose my job, right? There are many things where the mind knows what is right and the emotions are fighting against it, right? There are other times, though, where the emotions actually follow the mind. And that's actually where we have the greatest impact and the greatest joy in our life is when both our mind and our heart are united, like harmoniously, in doing what is right, right? You, you, you're doing something good, and you feel fully energized to do it. You're excited about it. You want to do it, right? And that you, you produce the best work. You do the best thing. You enjoy your life the most when your heart and your mind are both aligned um, to do the right thing. So this is the renewal, right? The renewal of the mind. Um, how do we renew the mind? In Philippians 4, 8, St. Paul, he says the following. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Right? So how do we renew our mind? Okay? We meditate on the good things, the noble things, the pure things, the lovely things. We surround ourselves with them. You know, when we read a book, like a spiritual book, that's what we are doing. We are exposing ourselves to righteousness. We are reminding ourselves of of how to live in a godly way. When we spend time in prayer, right, we are, um, we are immersing ourselves in an environment uh, that is a godly one, right? This is why actually prayer is even beneficial when we don't understand, or even when we are not 100% focused on prayer. Because we could be doing anything else at that moment, right, even when we are not completely focused on the prayer that we're praying. We could be doing anything else, but we are choosing to be there, struggling against the weakness of our flesh, to understand and to focus while we are distracted on the prayer that we are praying. And even that helps to renew the mind. Being with people who are godly, being simply being exposed to them, simply being in their presence, right? This helps to renew the mind. Listening to sermons, reading the word of God helps to renew the mind. The more we immerse ourselves in the godly things, the mind is renewed. And the more we uh, immerse ourselves in the worldly things, our mind becomes corrupted. And we become, like St. Paul says here, conformed to the world. That it's not just that I, am, I, I, I have corruption, but I have become completely a copy of the world. That the ideals of the world are my ideals, and the values of the world are my values, right? And the things that I desire the most are the worldly things as opposed to the godly things. And then at the end, he says, what prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? What does St. Gregory of Nyssa say? He says, the perfect will of God is that the soul be changed by reverence, having been brought to the full flower of its beauty by the grace of the Spirit, which attends to the sufferings of the person who undergoes the change. The perfect will of God, it's like God creates each of us with potential, like a flower that has not yet bloomed, right? And the potential is there, right? The potential is there. And the, the decisions we make and how I choose to live will determine how much I bloom, 
right? Am I going to reach the full capacity of what God has allowed me to be or not, right? The perfect will of God is we be completely conformed to his likeness as opposed to being conformed to the world that our mind is renewed. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Right? Each one has received, as I said, a different capacity. Each one has received um, different gifts. Right? We are not all the same. We have not all received the same gift. And so what God wants us to do is to work with the talents and the gifts that he gave us. Right? He wants us to work with those things. And if God has given us many good gifts, we shouldn't think of ourselves so highly as though that these gifts are my own creation, that these gifts are my own doing. All right? Because I am the one who I receive them. And, and actually, this is very similar to what St. Paul said to the um, Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received? If we really believe that every gift that we have is actually a gift from God and not something for us to be proud of in ourselves, then we will not boast against one another and we will not think highly of ourselves, right? We will instead be humble. It doesn't mean that we don't play a role, right? Like God could give me, um, a, 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 you know, a gift that I, that I completely neglect, like, I don't use it, I don't practice it, I don't try to, 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 to use it in any way, and so it'll remain weak, right? So just because God gives us a gift doesn't mean that we don't participate in developing that gift and using that gift. But if God had not given me the gift, then no amount of effort I would have been able to achieve or to accomplish or do whatever it is, right? So whether God gives us, you know, s different spiritual gifts or he gives us different physical gifts or, or intelligence or you know, the ability to communicate well or to be, um, to administrate, to encourage others, to all the spiritual gifts, all the gifts. Whatever gift God gives, right, he gives to each one and, and he wants us to work on it so that it can bloom, so it can, it, can, it can reach its full potential. And as we are reaching this full potential, we should not boast in ourselves or think of ourselves very highly because in the end, God is the one who grants us these gifts. Yes. Wait, wait, he's gonna he's gonna bring you the microphone, because <laughs> I can't even hear you. <laughs> so it's like said that no matter like if God didn't give us a gift, like no matter how much effort that we put, we would not like have it. But aren't some of those things like learnable? Like say that I think of myself like I don't have the gift of speaking, and some people are definitely more natural in speaking. But see, I can learn it still. Right. So mm -hmm. when do I tell myself, Halos, this is not something that God gave me. There's no point in like trying or like I shouldn't like bother too much about that one thing. So e even if things don't come as easily to you, let's say as to another person, it doesn't mean that God hasn't given you the potential to learn it. Right. So someone who works hard and learns something, that doesn't mean that God didn't give them the gift. Right. They, they had the gift but maybe it took them more effort than another person for them to kind of draw it out. There are things, though, that no matter how much effort we put into it, it's really not what God has decided for us is, is our area, right? If, if God gives us talents in everything, imagine how difficult it would be for us to know what is it we should do with our life. You know, like how hard is it for people nowadays to even know what is it they should major in? But imagine that you were good at every single subject, right? Like what is it that you would do? It's actually good that we're not because, number one, as he's warning here, we would think of ourselves very highly because we think that we're good at everything. Um, and two, we would be very confused. Like part of the, the gifts that God gives is to help direct us in the path of life he wants us to go, right? So, so um, again, we, we work on it. We can improve. That, that still means that God has given us those gifts. There are some things that no matter how much effort we put in, we will barely improve at all, and we will not enjoy you know, like we will not enjoy. Sometimes we decide that we want to do something thinking that it is the best thing for us and maybe without realizing that it's really not. I'm not really going to enjoy it as I imagine, as I imagine to. You know, maybe I wanted to go into a certain career, 
And I, I, I imagine that that career is going to bring me satisfaction and it's going to be exactly what I wanted. But I fail and I'm not able to do it and I get frustrated and I think to myself, like, God, why are you not granting me success in it? Well, maybe it's because that's not going to bring you the happiness you think it will, right? God is directing you to a different path. So it's okay for us to fail at things, right? It's actually helpful for several reasons to fail. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay? Um, in the church, the primary focus is on what is good for the body as a whole. Right? What is good for the body as a whole. In Philippians 2, St. Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Okay? So the church is like a connected organism where every part of it serves the whole. Okay? The focus is not um, what is best for me alone, but what is best for us. Right? What is best for us. Um, because collectively we are the bride of Christ. Okay, um, and we cannot have a relationship with God outside of the body. Okay, because God's grace works in the body. God's grace works in the church. Think about all the things that we do in the church that can only be done in the church, right? So baptism, which is necessary for every believer, is done in the church. Okay, chrismation, which is done right after baptism, it's done in the church. Confession is done through the church. Communion is done through the church. Matrimony, like getting married, okay, is done through the church. Um, when someone departs, we have a funeral prayer for them in the church. When someone is sick, we pray the unction prayer in the church, and we anoint them with oil. Even things like fellowship, right? We have fellowship with one another in the church. We serve one another in the church, right? The church is like this, the 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 kind of the place where the entire body of Christ gathers and benefits together, right? The, the church benefits together. We all participate together. We all benefit together. That doesn't mean that we don't pray on our own, right? But, but the, the, the grace of God works through the church, okay? And so God gives different people different gifts so that they can serve the church. And that's what service is. You know, sometimes I receive a gift, something that God has given me that I'm good at, and I spend a lot of time using it for my own benefit, right? Like God has given me a certain gift, and I use it to make money. I use it to help myself, you know. Um, but I can ask the question, how am I using this to serve the body of Christ? How am I using this to serve the church as a whole? Because here he's saying what all members do not have the same function by design so that in the church, you can have people who are good at everything so that we support the body of Christ together. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Right? These are examples of the gift of the Spirit. He speaks about prophecy. Prophecy is not like future telling. Okay, prophecy is like the explanation of the difficult mysteries of God, right? In understanding and comprehending the mysteries of God, this prophecy. Ministry is the service of others. Okay, um, teaching we can understand teaching the principles of God, the Word of God. Exhortation is like encouragement and counseling of people and helping them to uh, remain motivated and and encouraging them to continue struggling against sin. Uh, giving, leading, showing mercy, all these things are things that are necessary in the church as a whole, not just to myself, right? Like, like I don't have the gift of leading just to lead myself. I don't have the gift of mercy to have mercy on myself. And I don't have the gift of giving to give to myself. And I don't have the gift of exhortation, encouragement to encourage myself. And I don't teach myself and I don't minister to myself. Why is it that God gave all of these gifts? not so that we can use them on ourselves, so that he, we could use them on others, right? So if God gives me these gifts and I don't use them on others, I don't use them at all, maybe I have them and I don't even know, 
You know, maybe have not exercised them by any means, and I'm not even aware that they are in me because I haven't taken any steps to, 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 to explore. What is it that God has given me? What gifts do I have? And how can I offer these gifts back to him? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So those that have a genuine love have it because of the work of God that is in them. Okay? The work of God in us, the spirit of God, the grace of God in us is what brings us to have a genuine love for others. In 1 John 3, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. It's very interesting when it says, We know that we have passed from death to life. So what is, being, what is passing from death to life? What is that? What do we, what do we call that? We just celebrated it. The resurrection. That's what death to life is, right? The, the, the resurrection is taking something that's dead, okay, and making it alive, okay? So how do we know that we are resurrected? How do we know that we're resurrected? What does St. John say? He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So if we look at ourselves and we see that we have love for one another, of course we don't have perfect love and we're trying to grow in love. But the sign of our resurrection, the indicator that we have been resurrected, is the divine love of God in us. Right? Even when Christ was speaking to the apostles, he told them, they will know that you are apostles because you have love for one another. How will they know? They are not going to know because you are the best teachers, the most eloquent. They're not going to know because you do miracles. right? They're not going to know because you can recount the details of what happened when we lived together for three years. No, they will know that you are apostles because you have love for one another. Because the divine love, the supernatural love, is so obvious. When, because the world, if you look around in the world that we have, it's so full of hatred. And, 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 you know, like like all forms of hatred that is so common now that you almost expect to be treated with hatred and, and not being treated with hatred, not being treated with criticism, not being treated in a, in a bad way is almost like surprising. That's th really the world that we are in today. So when you have someone who truly has a genuine divine love in them, just simply living your life with that divine love will attract people to you. And everyone will know that there's something different about you. Maybe they won't be able to identify what it is. Why is it? Well, here he's saying what? Because you are resurrected, right? So you do not abide in death. If this world is full of death and hatred is a manifestation of death, then someone who has the divine love is alive. And those people who are dead will look at the person who is truly alive and, it, they, and they are remarkable to them. We don't understand you. How is it that you live the way that you do? How is it that you behave the way that you do? Because it is not a fake love, which, which we see often in the world. It is the divine love. There are people who have human love in the world, right? Like people care about their children. You know, that's parents care about their children. Yeah, there are exceptions to that, but the majority, right? Uh, people care about their close friends. People care about their families. But, but in Luke chapter 6, when Christ was speaking about real love, he says, even sinners love, love those who love them. What credit is that to you if you love those who love you? And then he goes on to say, no, you have to love your enemies. That is the sign of the divine love. The divine love is not just loving my group of friends or being nice to them, because that's, that's the human love. That's not demonstrating resurrection, Right? Resurrection is that I can choose to be kind and patient with and show love and serve even those who hate me the most. That is the divine, the divine love. Did you have a comment? Yes. Um, so you, you said that um, you spoke of the signs of, of resurrection, right? Um, that uh, it's it's divine, and I guess I, I see that in the lives of this, uh, the saints, 
what the, what the things that they're capable of doing it's supernatural especially uh, the mere act of loving another person um, uh, but what separates them from you know someone who is a bit more ordinarily seeming I guess uh, say like myself <laughs> um, I, because I mean like you said you can you can see distinctly someone like that someone who is you know, who has separated himself truly, himself or herself for God, you just see them and you, you know that. But what exactly might separate us from people like that, you think, or are you saying? When you say what might separate us from people like that is like, why aren't we like that? Or or how do we identify that in normal people? No, no, not like, you know, because you can't really judge a person in that way, I suppose. But because you said... Like I, I think that what triggered this uh, question was you said that we become resurrected. My my understanding had been that we don't truly or fully become resurrected until we're dead, right? Because we'll continually be repenting as long as we're in this world. Um, so there's there's, diff there's different forms of resurrection. Like for instance, baptism is resurrection, right? Also, but at the second coming, that is when there is the general resurrection, the resurrection of the bodies. So you could say that the resurrection of the bodies of the dead bodies, this is going to happen at the second coming. But there is a spiritual resurrection that happens in us, right, before then. In every believer, there is a spiritual resurrection that happens in baptism. And then that resurrection is uh, continues throughout our life if we choose, you know, if we choose to live in that resurrection. If we choose to live in the power that Christ granted us in that resurrection, then, then we are able to do so. As opposed to when we speak about, in contrary to that, in the Old Testament, when the people did not have that resurrection, the law came and they died. The law came and condemned everyone because no one was able to live resurrected. No one was able to live according to the law because it was beyond their power. Now, though, having received the grace of the Holy Spirit, it is within the power of someone to be martyred for Christ. It is within the power of someone who has been harmed to forgive, right? Whereas in the Old Testament, it was not. So there is a grace that God gives and we live a resurrected life daily because we make choices daily. Do I choose to use the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit in me to fight against my, my kind of lustful nature, my carnal nature, or not? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a choosing to give, up of, to give up of myself, like a sacrifice of myself. Okay. So it's, it's just the choice to follow God and, and not something else. It's the constant choice to do that, the constant choice to uh, walk toward Christ rather than somewhere else. Yes, having received that gift, right? Having received the, the Holy Spirit, yes, yes. So in addition to the love without hypocrisy, meaning a genuine love, not a love that just appears like love in front of people for an ulterior motive of I want to appear Loving, I want to appear Christian, I want to appear, right? No, a genuine. Then he says, abhor what is evil, okay? Because again, if, if we have a renewed mind, then we cannot, um, we cannot be compromising with evil. We cannot uh, accept evil as being an alternate lifestyle. We cannot accept evil as being something that is okay, either in us or in other people. It doesn't mean that we judge others or we hate others, but we but we we can identify what is good and something praiseworthy, something that we meditate on, something we want to imitate versus what is evil, something we want to flee. I don't want to be around this, right? And it is not something I want to do, and it, but I, what I want to do is cling to what is good. Again, going back to the the idea of um of meditated on meditating on the things that are good, right? Clinging to what is good be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality so again he's giving all of these characteristics right what we would expect to find in the life of a person who has the divine love. This is the characteristics of this divine and holy love, giving preference to one another. Instead of seeking my own will, instead of wanting only what I desire, allowing someone else to get what they desire instead. 
right? Diligence, not being lazy, not being half-hearted, doing something with fullness, with zeal, fervency, right? Energetic, serving the Lord, right? Our, that we serve one another because it is based on our love for God. We serve one another because these others are the, the creation of God. They are made in the image of God. We serve them because we love them and we love God. Rejoicing, right? We have rejoicing in ourselves because of the hope that we have. We don't rejoice because of the current state of the world. You know, we don't rejoice because of some expectation or hope that we have that's going to happen in one month or some, you know, status change is going to happen to me in my life. That is not really the ultimate rejoicing. Of course, there are things that can make us happy and things that make us sad in the world, for sure. But the ultimate rejoicing is because of our hope. Our hope that ultimately Christ has conquered all of this, right? That everything that we see, all of the the, the darkness, all of the corruption, all of the sin, all of the sadness, despair, all, uh, everything we see in the world has been conquered by Christ. And we have hope that we will live with him in eternity. And in this we rejoice. So we live our life not reacting to the daily events as much as we are reacting to the knowledge of what we know that Christ has already accomplished, which is the conquering of the world. Patience, right? Perseverance in the midst of trial without giving up hope, not reacting in the moment, having patience to wait prayerfully, right? Seeking solace from God and seeking the will of God in our life. And then he says also being charitable and hospitable, freely giving of what is ours to others. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Again, this is the divine love, not the human love. You know, we are very quick to when someone mistreats me in some way to 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 want to repay or even if I am not the one who repays, but I would enjoy to see them to suffer the way they have made me to suffer. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. OK, again, this is an attribute of the body, you know, like if your hand hurts you very bad, OK, your whole body is in pain. You know, it's not just your hand that's in pain. Like all of you is in pain. Your whole your whole self is affected when one part of your body is affected. So when a part of the body weeps, then the whole body weeps, right? We are we have sorrow, but also rejoice when one part of the body is rejoicing, the whole body shares in this rejoicing. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Okay, so again, do not see yourself as better than others. Um, do not think you are above reproach or have achieved perfection. Um, do not set your mind on high things, right? Be content with where you are, right? Don't, don't require that you are going to have just such amazing achievements and that's the only way I'm going to be happy in my life. It's okay to have ambition. It's okay to have a desire for growth. It's okay to have a goal that you want to reach in some way. But what if you don't reach that goal? And until you reach that goal, how do you feel? Are you miserable today until you reach the goal? What is it that God has given me today? We should be content with whatever he has given me. There's a difference between, you know, wanting to, to, to work hard to achieve a goal versus being miserable um, and, and not willing to accept what God is, has given me today. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Be willing to defer to the opinion of others, to the wisdom and the counsel of others. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And this is important. It says what? If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Meaning, try to be at peace with everyone. Nobody likes to be have tension and conflict with people. If it is, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. Being at peace doesn't mean that you um, don't have disagreements. It doesn't mean that there's no conflict, th that there's no differences of opinion. You can have differences of opinion, and yet there is peace. You could be wronged by someone, 
and because you have forgiven them, you have peace. But as much as it depends on you, if the other person is not willing to have peace, if the other person is willing is not willing to forgive, if the other person is 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 wants there to be tension and anger, and that's how they live. That's not that's there's nothing I can do, right? It's about as much as it depends on you. What is within my power, right? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right? So do not retaliate, do not take revenge. Okay? Do not try to gain justice for yourself through sin. It doesn't mean that we can't defend ourselves. It doesn't mean that we can't try to get justice for ourselves through the, the, the legal channels, through the, the, the right way. Of, 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 of trying to right a wrong, but do not reach to the point saying, well, you know, like uh, I haven't been able to get justice for myself, so I'm going to commit sin against this person because they wronged me. That's when it crosses the line. Then he says what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, meaning leave it to me. Like uh, God sees, and whatever justice we deserve, we will get. Whether in this life or in the next life. There will be justice. God is just. It doesn't mean that that justice is going to manifest itself here. right? There are plenty of very innocent people that have not committed any sin right? that never see justice in this life. There are people who are victims in so many horrible things that happens to them, and they die. right? They don't receive justice in this life. And so if a person believes that all there is in existence is this life then maybe we could not conclude that god is just and that's maybe a reason why a lot of people say you know we don't believe in god because how could god allow all the suffering that there is in this world but it is a short-sighted view right because that view is limited to here right that view is limited to here that's like saying um you know a person who cheated in high school their entire time in high school got um, really good grades and it's not fair and the system is broken because this person got really good grades and is now graduating from high school but they cheated the whole time yeah but they're going to get their justice later because they don't know anything and so when it comes time to actually go to college or to work they're going to completely fail right so there's justice but the justice did not come during those four years of high school the justice comes later right the consequence comes later so if we see that this life is the only life, then certainly there's a lot of injustice done that we don't see as being compensated for, that we don't see as being, you know, like, like repaid. But ultimately, because this is not the only life and God is just, the justice will come. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that well, because we want to reap, reap coals of fire in his head, we're just going to be extra nice to him because ultimately it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt him more. That's, that's not what it means. It means it is not your responsibility to get justice for yourself. It is not your responsibility to, to take things into your own hands. So don't worry. Just be at peace. Even if you can't find peace with this person, you be at peace because ultimately God sees everything. There isn't anything that's going to escape from his insight and he's going to see. So as far as it, as far as, you know, you're concerned, just treat him well. Whatever he needs, whatever she needs, give it to them. Right. Just give it to them. Serve them. Show them the divine love. Right. And let me be the judge like God. Let me let, let God be the judge, because in the end, if that person does not repent, Right? then God is going to be the one who gives them the consequence, whether in this life or in the next life. And so they will, they will receive the reward of their actions. Right, But it doesn't have to be because you are the one seeking vengeance, but God will grant the justice. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? Do not be overcome by evil. What does this mean? Well, Number one, it means do not feel that evil has conquered you, <clears throat> right? Do not, do not feel like, you know, we look around us and we see there's evil everywhere. Do we feel overcome by evil? Sometimes maybe we do. Sometimes maybe we feel overcome by evil. There is evil everywhere. How, where can we go to escape from it? You know, and maybe it, it affects us very personally. 
or the actions of individuals who have done evil to us, right? Maybe we feel overcome by evil. But here St. Paul is reminding us that ultimately Christ is conquering. He has conquered. Whatever it is that he is allowing people to do now is because he wants to give them opportunity for repentance. That's why he has not already judged. And he also wants to give us opportunity for repentance, right? Just as we enjoy the forgiveness of Christ, the mercy of Christ, whenever we fall, so also we should desire that even our enemies have an opportunity for repentance and that they would have the same opportunities that we have when we fall, right? So do not be overcome by evil because God is in control. Number two, do not be overcome by evil because do not ad adopt the evil of others. Do not say, well, the only way I can succeed in this world is by being evil, right? Since everyone is evil, the only way I can win the only way I can protect myself is being evil in return, right? That's also being overcome by evil. Not because we are the direct victim of evil, but because evil has brainwashed us to becoming evil like them. And this is maybe more difficult because we tend to feel like if somebody does something to me that I am justified in returning it to them. I'm justified, right? Again, because we are seeking justice ourselves instead of allowing God to bring justice in his own way, in his own time. But then he says what? But overcome evil with good. Meaning the good that we perform, even though the good is like meek in comparison with evil, right? Like evil is like violent, aggressive, angry, hateful, loud, right? That's the nature of evil things, right? Whereas the things that are good are not violent or aggressive or angry, but they are quiet and they are meek, and they are gentle, right? But even this gentleness overcomes the evil. You know, a perfect example is Christ on the cross. You know, like, they accused him, and they spat on him, and they attacked him, and they whipped him, and they, they did all these violent actions to him, right? And what Christ did was very meek. He allowed himself to suffer. Right? He allowed himself to die. He allowed himself, and he even asked for the forgiveness of those people while he was on the cross. And yet this action that Christ did overcame all of the evil. Right? It, over, it, 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 it destroyed the kingdom of Satan. This meek, gentle um, action of Christ that was good was more powerful than all of the strength and all of the aggression and all the hate and anger. So sometimes when we look at who is it that's getting heard the most, who's it, who is it that's having the most influence, we find that maybe it's the loudest people, the angriest people, the most hateful people, and maybe we are tempted to respond like them because it works, or at least it appears to. But that is not what God is asking us. He's saying, you allow yourself to suffer. By, by being the martyr, maybe not literally the martyr in terms of like dying, but being the one who meekly accepts with gentleness and love the abuse of others, of course there's a limit to everything, but the idea that we are not re repaying with vengeance and revenge, right? That in itself overcomes evil because, again, we are demonstrating the divine love. Right? The love that is greater than that that is in the world. And that has a greater impact than if all we did is we took up the sword, just like they take up the sword, and we try to fight them on their equal playing ground, uh, playing field. Right? That, is, that is not going to achieve what we are seeking. Right? We are seeking a transformation and a change. We are not seeking a war, and a war that leads to no victors in the end. Yes. Uh, on the point, uh, do not be overcome by evil. I wanted to ask a question related to free will. It's not really about free will, because uh, I get that we have that through our rationality, I guess. But I think of I think of um, the saints who who healed people, or Christ Himself who exercised uh, demons from people uh, in the New Testament. What exactly does it mean 
uh, that they were able to do that, that demons had possessed them to that extent. Were they lacking the ability to do that themselves? Or was it just that in being brought before the presence of God, before the presence of someone so holy that they were washed from the evils that they had surrounded themselves with, that they were just in the presence of something so holy that it washed them? Is that what that was, or what was it? Yeah, the, the demons cannot stand the presence of God, right? So, so those demons who, when they were in the presence of Christ, they, they could not, they could not stay. And so they, they, they left, they, they departed, they fled from him. Is that your question? I, 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 what part did the person who was healed um, play in that healing? As I guess my question. So, usually when people are healed, they have to express faith, right? Because there's even a part where it said that Christ went into a certain region and the people had no faith, so he was not able to perform any miracles there, right? So those people who are, uh, who are healed, it is because they have faith or because the people who prayed for them have faith, you know? Because like maybe someone who is demon-possessed, they're not able to pray and think, right they're completely you know almost insane right so maybe somebody else brought that person to christ and their faith is what is 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 what allowed christ to commit to to perform the miracle right or like the example of the four men who brought their friend and lowered him down from the roof of the house you know it it, it we never hear anything of what the man himself says but we see the faith of the friends who were willing to go up on the roof and lower him down, right? So there's usually has to be some, um, you know, some expression of faith, and then the Lord performs some kind of healing miracle. Typically, that's what it is. Okay. Okay. Chapter thirteen um, focuses uh, uh, about our responsibility to those in authority over us. Again, we're talking about how do you how do we manifest the divine love? How do we manifest the Christian faith? It is not simply by being like everyone. Right? How do we manifest it? So even here when Christ is asking us for this kind of submission, it is a divine submission. Okay? He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So even the secular authorities, God is asking us to submit to them. And he's saying that all authorities are allowed to be in authority and in power by God's permission. Okay, so in Proverbs 8, it says, by me kings reign. And rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that the person who is the ruler is doing the will of God. Or that everything that they are commanding is righteous. Or, or that they are, they are using this office that they have been given um, in the right way. doesn't mean that at all because they have free will. They can also choose to disobey. They can choose to do what is wrong. They can be corrupt. They can be selfish. Everything. But the existence of the authority itself was set up by God's will. And so we are called to obey the authority. We are not obeying an individual person. We are obeying the authority that God has placed. Um, St. John Chrysostom he says this, what do you say? Has God chosen every ruler? The answer, I do not say so, for I am not talking about individuals, but about the positions. There has to be the ruler and the ruled to avoid confusion. Otherwise, people would be like the waves crashing here and there, essentially anarchy. If there was no system of government, then it would all be anarchy. There has to be some government system to make some kind of control and order and so God allows for these systems to be in place, okay? So God is calling us to submit to this authority. He's saying, don't be anarchist. You know, he's saying, don't, don't, don't say, well, you know, we don't live by these rules. We live by a different set of rules, and so we're not going to obey. You know, we have many examples, actually, in the church of saints who were part of the government, who were in the military, who went to war 
according to the orders that they were given by the government. But when it came time for these emperors and these rulers to tell them, now offer incense to the idols, then these saints said, no, we will not offer incense to the idols. We are not going to break the command of God, but we are still going to submit to you, right, in every other thing. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So, saying those who disobey the authority are actually disobeying God. And they will, be, they, will, they will reap judgment for themselves for disobeying the authority. Even keep in mind when, when this was written, and this is being written to the people living in Rome. Rome was an oppressive empire. They were wicked. They were corrupt. They were pagan. Right? They, had, they had no values or ideals that overlapped with Christianity. They were barbaric. They, they murdered Christians. They tortured Christians. Like, and, this, and in the midst of all of that, St. Paul is writing, submit to the authority. This is, not a e this is not an easy thing. I mean, maybe we think about it today, and we're thinking about, oh, the authority. You know, I don't really want to submit, or I don't agree with the authority. Imagine how they felt about this. Okay, when, when they're being told the same government that is killing you, you know, like imagine, God forbid, that here in America uh, there was these uh, police or whatever kind of institution who would randomly come into people's houses and take them away and kill them. Let's say that was a normal thing that was happening. And let's say they were doing it only with the Christians. And then I'm going to come to you and say, you have to obey the authority. You know, you have to pay your taxes to them. You, you, you have to follow their laws. Like, that's very hard. Like, that's not what, that's not, that's not what you want to do. You, you, what you want to say is, these people are murdering us. Like, like these, these people are killing us. How are you telling me to submit myself to them? But that's what he's saying. Again, this is the divine. This is not the human. Right? This is the divine. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not a human work. This is not something that human beings can do. This is only something God can do. For rulers are a terror to good works, but for, sorry, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. Okay, so he's, he's saying what the purpose of governments and rulers is to protect the, the people and to punish evil, to punish crime. Okay? And so submit yourself to the authority and respect the authority because they are the ones who keep you safe. For he, meaning the ruler, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. As much as we object to many things that maybe the government does, Let's, for a moment, think about all the good things that it does. Imagine what life would be like if there were no government. You know, imagine the kind of anarchy. Imagine the kind of crime. If somebody came and they harmed you in your home, who would you call? No one. No one to call. Who, you know, like having some kind of a system allows us to function as a society. So there was a lot of necessary and good things, essential things. It doesn't mean that everything is good. It doesn't mean that everything is right. But this is what St. Paul is trying to say. He's saying the, the government has a God-given role. Okay? So submit to it. And one of the things that the, the government is given is the ability to enforce laws and to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Meaning to punish people who disobey the law. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Right? Submit to the authority. Honor those in authority. Okay? Treat them respectfully. Even as Christians, if we don't like something the government does, it does not give us the right to curse them. 
right? It does not give us it does not give us the right to ridicule them, because he's saying, if this person deserves honor because of their position, give honor. Again, this is the divine. We're not talking about the human. This is the divine, right? Treat all people respectfully, and if you want to object, object respectfully, because there is a way to do so. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit, uh, uh, you, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, or all are summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Here he is quoting the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the commandments specifically that are speaking about the relationship between us and others, okay? And he's saying this is summed up, all these commandments of how we treat one another is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, because the people did not have this supernatural divine love that, uh, that we're speaking about, it had to be regulated through many laws. This is why in the Old Testament, because the people did not have the spirit and they couldn't understand the mind of God and they didn't have the power to, 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 to live as God wanted them to live, they had a huge number of laws and every law regulated, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, and they had to follow all these laws. But in the New Testament, this divine love that works in us is beyond the law. It is beyond the letter of the law. So that we are moved to love, to move to compassion, move to obedience according to the spirit that moves in us beyond the, the letter, beyond just the, the listing of here are the laws that we should follow. And we go beyond. This is why even when Christ said, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You know, why? Because our mission, our goal is not to just say, I have fulfilled the minimum requirements of the law. No, our goal is to manifest the divine love. And the, the, the divine love is not limited by a law. Like, well, like, what law did Christ follow in demonstrating love to us? There was no love. He had no obligation to do anything. Right, he, he had no obligation to save us. There was nothing requiring him to save us. So everything that he did was beyond requirement. So he's saying about us, when you love one another, your goal is not to fulfill a minimum requirement. Your goal is to show the maximum love, compassion, mercy. This is what sets you apart from the world. The world cares about the requirements of the law, how do I avoid getting punished, you know, what do I need to do so that I don't get penalized, so on. This is the way the world thinks. But that's not the way the Christians should think. The way Christians should think is how do I offer myself to God? How do I offer myself fully? How do I offer myself to other people? And do this knowing the time that now, sorry, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, and not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to fulfill its lusts. So having been now enlightened with the truth of Christ and having been redeemed and purchased by Christ and having been saved through the blood of Christ, now let us make use of this spirit that we have received, right? This resurrection that we have been offered to live righteously, to live soberly, to sacrifice ourselves to Christ, to not be conformed to the world, to live for, for God and not for ourselves, to live in this holy way and meditate on our salvation and eternal life, making no provision for the flesh. Let us walk properly, 
right? Again, this is the reasonable service. Having understood all these things that God has offered us, realizing now that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, realizing that the day is at hand, realizing all these things, let us cast off the works of darkness. So let us live according to the divine love. Let us live according to how Christ is calling us to live. And he described in some detail some of the scenarios in terms of like how we deal with our enemies, how we live in the community, how we submit to authority, all these things. And elsewhere he also speaks about how slaves should deal with their masters, even when their masters are harsh, that they should still submit to them. Again, this is the divine, right? This is, this is not the human. This is not the human understanding. This is not the human way. This is, this is only what can be accomplished through the work of God in the believer. And this is how Christ is calling us to live. So, if anything, it should make us feel um, that we are unable to do these things without the strength of Christ in us, without the work of God in us. And when we ask God and when we pray, we ask him to allow us to meet and to rise up to this level of holiness only according in his spirit and that God would have mercy on us when we fall short because we fall short very often. Any final comments or questions? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy. We thank you, O God, for all the times that you look over the sins that we commit and all the ways, O Lord, that we do not fulfill or rise up to the standard that you have set for all of your children. We ask, O Lord, for your forgiveness that we do not do according to your will, that we do not submit, O Lord, as you have called us to submit, that we do not forgive as you have called us to forgive, that we do not show and manifest your love in the world as we ought. We ask you, O Lord, to renew us and to resurrect us and to transform us, to change us so that we can able to do all these things, so that we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, so that we can serve you, O Lord, with our minds and our hearts and our soul and all that we are. We ask, O Lord, your strength. We ask, O God, for you to have mercy on us as we continue to grow and struggle and help us not to give up, O Lord, or to act as though that we can never achieve or that we can never attain. But let us continue to work, O Lord, knowing and trusting in hope that you will grant us victory and that we will continue, O Lord, to see your glory manifested in our lives and in the church. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy. We ask, O God, for your peace between us and one another, unity of heart and the body of Christ. And we ask, O Lord, to make us the light to the world so that those who are on the outside will see, O Lord, the manifestation of this divine love in us and come, O Lord, and enjoy salvation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.